0: Um, Let's pray for this morning, and we'll get started on our last session um, for church unity. Lord, we thank you again for this time that we've had together, and we thank you for this morning as well. I pray that your word speaks to us, that your word convicts us, that it shapes our minds and our hearts, our attitudes towards one another, and you, Lord. I pray that we are sacrificially loving one another continually that we love your gospel and it changes our lives and it conforms us to your image. Uh, We thank you for this time that we've had together for the unity of the church and and growing in that in all the different aspects. And I pray that it resonates with us. It doesn't just leave our minds once we hear it, but we go back and listen or reread our notes, Lord, so we can grow in this area as a church. And we pray that you bless our time this morning. Remove any distractions from our minds so we can hear what is being said from your word. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so our last session together is on evangelism and what is a true evangelism. And Christians today often see evangelism as 100% the job of the church or 100% their own job. On one hand, we think of evangelism as getting people to come to church and then structure the church around the needs and interests of non-Christians to get them to come. On the other hand, we might think the church has nothing to do with evangelism, uh, swinging too far in the other direction. So evangelism and evangelism training become the responsibility of parachurch ministries. There's a problem with that first model. The church is not in its essence only about outreach. It's a community of of Christians designed to model the character of God to a watching world. If we turn Sunday morning into an apologetic lecture series, we wind up failing to grow and mature the church, which itself stifles evangelism altogether. But the second model is no better because the church is one of God's primary tools for evangelism. So think of Peter's description of the church in 1 Peter 2.9. He describes the people of God as what? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And what is the purpose of God's people? Peter goes on to say that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Jesus says in John chapter 13 verse 35, by this all people know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. This is a love that is among Christians, but that speaks powerfully to those who are not Christians. And Peter saw this in action in Acts chapter 2, we read, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And the Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. These early Christians had a life together that became a display of love in their character in their day-to-day lives. And God used this to witness to draw people to himself. So as Christians, we are called to live our life together in such a way that the world will see the power of the gospel. So don't miss that point, because that is our avenue of evangelism. Christians, not just as individuals, but as God's people bound together in churches, are the clearest picture of what the world sees of who God is. One of the most colorful early church scholars was uh, a guy named Tertullian, He's a North African who lived around like 160 to 120 or 225 A.D. And Tertullian wrote his famous work, Apology, to Roman magistrates to defend Christians against slanderous charges. In it, he noted the unity of Christians, saying, We are a body knit together as such by a common religious profession, by unity of discipline, and by the bond of a common hope. He then noted the impact that the love of the church had on unbelievers around them. He says, but it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that led many to put a brand on us. See, they say, how they love one another. A conspicuous congregational love in a loveless world cannot go unnoticed. It cannot simply, and it won't be ignored. By living the gospel as a distinct community, the church accomplishes the important mission of displaying the transforming effects of the gospel for the world to see. That's our topic for today. That's the main focus, a display of God's goodness through our corporate witness. So this morning, we'll first begin by looking at the unique power of a congregational witness. Then we'll consider how to apply that to our life as a church. And finally, we'll end our time together with some thoughts on our life together in this church. So how can point number two in your handout, how can our life together empower evangelism? We saw from those few passages just a few minutes ago that our inward unity and love provides outward witness to God's power through the gospel. But practically, how does that happen? So let's consider five ways together. So number one, a congregational witness enables believers to see evidence of God's power that they just can't see in our lives as individuals. So think of the high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through what their word, that they may... All be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. So our unity in the gospel testifies to Christ and his love for his people. The impact of your relationships with with others in this church extends far beyond those small circles. In fact, it can impact the reputation of Christ in this town and city as well. So number two, related to this idea of unity, is the power of a congregational witness through Christians' love for one another. What marks us out as Christians in the eyes of the world, more than sound doctrine, more than passionate worship, is our love. This love is often manifested in good deeds. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter states in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. According to Jesus, the good deeds of his disciples are the window through which the world comes to see and glorify God. Do we agree with that? Amen. So what might that look like for us? Here's what these passages... Here's where these passages are so different than our natural inclination. The witness Jesus has in mind isn't our love for the world. It's our love for the church. If we love each other well and the world sees that love, that is profoundly compelling to them because they see something that is not natural. So should we love the world? Absolutely, yes. We should love our neighbors as ourselves, but... It is the love for each other that Jesus says will mark us out in this world. It makes us separate. It it causes that separation between us and the world. So third, another great advantage of evangelism in context of a congregation is that we help each other witness. In this way, our evangelism as a church is more powerful because many members with different gifts and different opportunities And different opportunities to use those gifts are involved in witnessing to unbelievers. When you talk with folks who have become Christians through the ministry of this church, you will find that while an initial contact was made by one person, what happened wasn't so much one-on-one, but maybe a group evangelism, talking to many people. Now, there are many relationships in which you alone can make that initial contact. So in no way you should remove yourself from the responsibility of boldly sharing the gospel with anybody but what happens from there can follow many different paths as we help each other witness to that person it's many different voices so fourthly god is uniquely glorified when we bear witness to him together the broader the testimony the more god is glorified An assembly of believers can give glory to God with greater volume and variety than an individual can. So let's say you guys are out to dinner with a group of Christians from the church and there's one or two unbelievers with them as well. An opportunity arises for you guys to begin talking about how you became Christians. One person talks about how God used a difficult event in their life to draw them to Christ. Another person talks about how God raised them in a Christian home and so on. So you, they see different aspects of the way God has worked in e- each one of their lives. And God is glorified by this type of congregational witness because it testifies to the manifold ways that he extends his saving grace. And, be, and it presents to non-Christians a much richer picture of how God works in this world than by simply one-on-one conversation. They see, they see a multitude of ways God's grace is abounding. And lastly, number five, the way we're involved corporately in evangelism, church planting locally and church planting around the world. In our church, we can pool our wisdom, experience, financial support, prayers, and callings, and direct those resources to making God's name great in our broader community and among the nations around the world as well. As a church, our desire is to be an equipping and sending church here. So moving on to the third Roman numeral, application. There are all sorts of ways that our witness is amplified as a congregation. So how do we do that? How can we be good stewards of the wonderful blessings of the unity and love that God has given us in this church to reach others with the gospel? So first, our love for our love and unity to be visible and real to non-Christians. We need to expose them to our life in the church. The most natural place to begin is in our regular assemblies where non-Christians may be attending. Here are some questions for us to think about regarding our regular meetings here. What might non-Christians see on Sunday morning? So these are just things to think about. What might they see? Do they see Christians that have an evident love and care for one another? By God's grace, I hope the answer is yes. Do they see church members who are quick to greet them and express interest in how they are? Do they see members inviting them to lunch after service where they can get to know maybe a cross-section of the body? Though many people say they feel welcomed here, unfortunately, not everyone does. So here are a few thoughts. So welcome people that we don't know. Make a point to talk to them. out of your comfort zone. Say hello. Invite and include them. Show hospitality to non-Christians and church members at the same time. Let your relationships outside of church peak in your relationships at church. And be strategic. Men's, women's Bible studies, Sunday school classes, and other church events expose non-Christians to everyday life of what it is to be in a congregation. So another point is it's not often possible for us to introduce our friends and colleagues to other church members or to our life in the church. Uh, Maybe schedules conflict or they just don't want to simply. That happens a lot. What do we do then? Well, people naturally talk about things that they care about, um, whether it be football, whether it be sports, whether it be fill in the blank. And as Christians, that means a lot of what we want to talk about, hopefully, is Christ and his church. So look for ways to talk about activities or ministries of the church that you're involved in. Or maybe you heard a sermon that recently raised a particular issue that you know someone in your life is struggling with. Or might be interested in discussing as well. It could be as simple as asking your coworker on Monday, how was your weekend? And hopefully they return with how was yours, right? And it hopefully gives you the opportunity. It's like, it's not just saying, oh, I went to church, but went to church and we are talking about this. We're talking, we, in Sunday school, this was preached on. And during the sermon, this was preached on. And um, hopefully that'll minister to them and it'll help you get to know them more as well. And it shows your care, shows your care for them. So you talk about what church life is like and why, why you care about the people that you're going on Sundays so much? Why, like, what's well, the big deal? And how they show that 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 they love you as well, and so how you're ministering to, it's like you can share with them that, man, I'm going through this, and and this individual at church told me this verse, or they encouraged me in this way, and that ministers to people more than we know. If they don't have ears to hear, that's that's not something that we can fix. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But our, our job is to express the love that we have for one another and the gospel that's changed our lives. Amen. All right. So moving on to Roman numeral number four. So as we're reminded in Ephesians three ten, 10 says, his intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And as we consider our great responsibility in this area, we can take comfort in the knowledge that not even the gates of hell will prevail against God's church. Why? Because its mission is to, is to dis- display before all the heavenly hosts and remarkable wisdom of God. God, in his wisdom, has left the task of displaying God's glory of his perfect character to the church, composed of imperfect people, The question of how that can happen has been the focus of this course for these 11 weeks. And particularly, our goal has been to understand the the opportunities and responsibilities that we as church members have to contribute toward that end. We have seen in our unity together as Christians in the local church acts as a compelling testimony of the gospel to the watching world. Just as God's manifold wisdom was displayed in the early church through Gentiles and Jews coming together as members of one body as well. It is displayed in our church today when people who are different in so many ways unite in the body of Christ. Is it not the same thing? It is. And what makes it such a display of God's glory is that our unity is not just unity in anything, but a unity in the gospel. The unity is so powerful, it can only have come from the hand of God. It's not something that we just made up and decided to get together. And this unity is our responsibility as church members. It is the church together that has been gifted by the Spirit. It is the church together who is called to completely humble and to be humble and gentle. Keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So how can we exercise our responsibility pers- to preserve unity in this church? This has been our topic of discussion for the last 11 weeks. How can we actively do this? So let me highlight two points as a summary of our time together. And so don't miss this. This is, this is the, the, the crux of what we've been meeting for. Is One is... Preserve unity by preserving the gospel message. The gospel creates unity, so we must preserve it and fight for it. Whether we are in this church or in another church, we should always make sure that the teaching and preaching is true to scripture, first and foremost. Remember that in the New Testament, when error slipped into a church's teaching, the apostles placed the responsibility on who? Not the pastor, but the people. It's to the church, the congregation. Second Timothy 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So that's the first point, is preservation of the gospel. The second is our unity is further by sincere love for one another. In the way that God has loved us through Christ, we should therefore love others. It sounds so simple, but it's so tough. We read about this love. It's uh, one of the most famous passages is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's a a pretty heavy list. If we're displaying that love, it's by God's power and grace alone. So brothers and sisters, love like that. Love like that passage Love those who are different than you because there's many. Love through your service and through your prayers, your encouragement towards one another, your admonishment if necessary, which is because we mess up, we need to be corrected. Love through your patience and forbearance through your humility. Love by discipling and teaching others. Love by being present in the life of the church. Love by using your spiritual gifts to build up the church. Love by being kind and compassionate, warm and generous towards one another. Love like that is a great witness of the gospel. Love like this promotes unity, brothers and sisters. It strengthens the body, and most importantly, it gives God glory, which is why we're here. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and that's what displays this. Our lives in the church are part of God's eternal plan to display his glory, not just to this world, but to all heaven. Human history began in a garden with a fellowship of a husband and a wife, and it will culminate as we look to the book of Revelation as a city, a people, an eternal society of light, which God himself personally is present with. So today the local church is a glimmering and growing picture of that coming reality. That is our calling in the nitty-gritty work of crossing society's boundaries to love each other as, as we are as a church, in this church. And praise God that our, our future is in perfection for all eternity. That's something to look forward to. So in God's power alone, let's walk worthy of our calling As we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in our last 11 weeks, is there any questions? If you want to clear out the cobwebs on the the other weeks, but is there any questions that you guys have um, remembering the the two reasons that were called that we just went over is for the sake of the gospel because it's changed our lives and that gospel causes us to love others and it's a reflection of God's glory in our lives and that's how the world sees and how we evangelize to the world by being different the world will tell you the exact opposite of what I just spoke about look within look within you are, can be your own deity. You can be your own God. You make your own rules. You are your own God. And that, and the world will push you towards that and with everything that it has. But what scripture tells us is sacrifice to self, be transformed to the image of Christ daily, continually. Don't be your natural person of your former life. Now, your nature has changed in Christ and that's the nature that we follow. But we're still fighting and battling against being our own God, making our own decisions, our own rules. So to reflect that, we've gone over 11 studies on so many different topics, whether it be unity through um, leadership, church discipline, uh, through being content instead of discontent and grumbling, uh, whether it be evangelism, you know, we, prayer, uh, g- giving of your, of your time and resources and sacrificing your life for the life of others. This is all promoting unity. Um, what the world will tell you is be selfish. You're worth it. You deserve it. What the church and gospel tells you is sacrifice, love others, live for Christ, not yourself. So any questions of what we've covered these last 11 weeks as we wrap up? So the question is, what does it look like in evangelism to someone who's been church disciplined and and excommunicated? The the, the final step where we treat them as unbelievers. Um, Well, what we talked about is continue to love one another, reflect the gospel as they see now what they don't have they by God's grace will be convicted and see that that they've been severed from that and that God would grow in their heart to convict them to come back and that's the point of church discipline is to show the gospel continually to them and then when we do meet with them we're not sitting down and breaking bread together we're not hanging out acting like nothing's wrong because they were a part of the church of Christ which is a holy union, and it's something that is not natural. And now they've been cut off from that. So we encourage them to come back and fellowship for salvation, really, because they've shown themselves not to be in Christ at that point. Uh, Hopefully that helps. But we continually talk to them when we do see them, Like, and you're talking like the one-on-one interactions or just in general. Yeah, so the, the the continued question was, how do we interact with them individually and generally, but is there a meeting for, be, with the elders before they come back? And absolutely, yeah, they just can't freely come back, because if the elders have gone through months and months and months of discipline, I'm, we're talking like six months, a year, maybe years, um, and we've pled with them. We've prayed with them. We've counseled them. We've directed them to scripture over that time. It's, it's not something that happens overnight. It's very rare. Um, maybe if there's like a gross egregious sin and they're unrepentant, then that, that process is quickened. But normally it's months and months and months. So if they want to come back, they must meet with the elders, absolutely. And repent. They, they must repent and see the sin that they were in. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember the point of church discipline is for them to come back. That is the goal. It's not to shove them away forever. So that's that's the prescription we have from Scripture. Anything else? So it's it's a, a labor of love, and the the first word, what I just said, it's it's a labor. So continually, continually praying. And keeping your your eyes and focus on Christ and the strength that you gain from him. Um, We can use him as an example. He came down and loved unconditionally. And people, did he eventually get hurt? Absolutely. Right? We know that from scripture. But what did he do? Christ, being led to the slaughter, did not revile in return. He did not speak out against these people, but what in turn did he do on the cross? He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? So from that example, we see what we should do. Is even, he was faithful even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so we should as well, in turn, gain strength from that and focus to what we should do to others and sacrificially to death, love others for God's glory. And yes, to your point, we will get hurt, and that's a guarantee. Um, it is a labor of love. But but there's, there's no clear answer. Like, we just continue in it, brother. You continue. And um, what that does as you are trying to minister to others, and it's falling on deaf ears, or it's falling on hard soil, or they are now growing... Um, in in resentment towards the gospel, um, you don't stop. And, uh, you continually, what that does is brother is what that's going to do is conform you and that sanctifies you in your faith. And that will in turn help your faith grow through the struggle and hardship. Um, so it's not so much always about them, but what it's also doing to your heart and mind, um, and your strength and where you're getting that from, because you'll see where you fail because that's when you find you're doing it in your own strength. But then you'll see where you're successful and you gain hope and not so much that the Lord will save them, but you gain hope in what the gospel power and what it's able to accomplish. And your faith is lying in not that person and their decision, but your faith is lying in the, the power of the scripture and the Holy Spirit doing work in your life. And then we're praying for the Holy Spirit to do work in their life as well. Yeah, and as Christians, we're not called to be doormats right and let people walk all over us um, but with with in truth and in love you know you you do draw the line if you know whether it be financially or your time or they're doing it um out of spite knowing like hey you're a christian i can say this and you have to do that um you you have to have wisdom and understanding in those moments and and you can get counsel on them too but uh, we are not called to be doormats you know in in being uh kicked around Um, but we we stand firm in the truth and we love in that truth and you can call out what they're doing with with grace and say that what you're doing is not right Um, and that will be a witness to them as well okay austin you had something Yeah, one book that I do know of is by a guy named Ian Bounds. He has a book, a really great book on prayer. Um, he's he's got a few short works. Uh, th- we have a whole shelf in our library to devotion and prayer, as well. So I encourage you to go look at those. I know MacArthur has one. I think Chris stands an answer. Uh, Don, Whitney. Don Whitney praying through Scripture. Robert, do you have any other recommendations? That's the one. So there's a couple for you to get you started. Yes, another one, sir. So I mean, the comment is, basically, yeah, do life together. Yeah, go for it. Don't wait for to. Yeah, yeah, take initiative, right? And then that's, and that's what we are called to do. Um, man, yeah, so that is, is a, I 100 percent agree. Um, yeah, if you don't know someone and they're a blood blood-bought saint just like you, hang out with them. You know, that's, that's why, that's one of many, many reasons why we started these care groups. Um, hopefully that you guys are talking to one another in those groups and getting to know people that you don't. Um, I pray that that's the case. I know it's just started. It's not like we're gonna hit the ground running and everything's gonna be great. But hopefully those are kind of gaining momentum and hanging out. So basically do life together, guys. Um, these, these are the people that we know and love, and this is our body that we've made a covenant with. Um, love them. Love them. Be with them. Um, if, like Jeff said, if you hang out with any, any kind of leadership or member outside of church, you get to know them on a, on a much more personal level, don't you? Yeah, and it's good. And so now you know how to pray for one another better. You know how to minister to one another better. Um, anything else? Anything else? we wrap up. Love you all. Let's pray. We'll end our session on unity together, and uh, we'll get going. Lord, we come before you so thankful, so grateful for what you've done in our lives, that you have created unity amongst people that should not have anything to do with one another, except we know your Son. And our unity is, is the surest. It's the most foundational there is in this world is your scripture and your son lord you brought people together from all backgrounds and walks of life to meet in your church and glorify your name we praise you for that we thank you so much for calling us out and showing us light changing our hearts of stone to flesh so we can have this with one another and that we don't have to go through this life alone anymore Lord, we pray that we continually grow in unity as a church, that we continually hold each other accountable to the truths of Scripture, and that the two main things that we talked about today are evident in our lives, that we love the gospel and it transforms our lives, and therefore we love one another. And the world will see that by our love. Lord, we pray that to be the truth here. We pray that to be the truth starting in our individual lives first and that we can show grace and mercy and forgiveness as we have been shown it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are and the power that you hold in your hands. Lord, the universe is yours. You're sovereign over all things. We glorify your name. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, it's been a joy teaching up here. This has been a great topic. It's been really good content for me as well so i hope it's been a blessing to all of you so hopefully we grow in this and hold each other accountable please do in love with grace knowing that none of us are going to do this perfectly thanks again everybody